What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It is Monday, June 20th. I'm Haley Salvian. No Ian Mendez today, so we've brought in Julian McKenzie. Say hello, Julian. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. Yeah, you got to actually say something. Don't just wave. Okay. For everyone well, listening and not watching on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have back. anything Wendy to say. I don't know. Just, <laughs> uh, I'm just happy to hang out on, on the Monday show and, uh, you know, do some fun stuff. That's great. I love the passion. This is really great. Uh, and we have Sean Gentilly here as well. Uh, say hello. I'm just going to wink at the camera. That, transla- <laughs> yes. that translates that well. Julian. That translates well to an audio media. Oh yeah, see that was what Julian was doing. He was trying to recapture the magic of his of his cute little gesture towards Dom that we all saw on on, on Twitter a couple weeks ago. It was it was yeah a- the little like if it was a Disney movie there'd be that little like like blink in his eye you know <laughs> the little <laughs> shimmer very gl- very know, glad man. to be very glad to be here today happy to be in the third chair uh, I'm psyched to just sit back and let you guys carry the discussion. Unlike on Tuesday, <laughs> when I have to uh, drag that freeloader Custance around like a like a bag hey. of bucks. What a hey. bum. What does he even do here? Nothing. What's his? That's job? not nice. Craig's a nice human being. He doesn't deserve you don't that know at all. That. See, that's the thing. That's where he gets you. Is Julian, he <laughs> he's good at. He's really, really good at making people think that he is nice. Man, his cutthroat. Yeah. Damn, I haven't been at this company long enough. He got his own podcast right? just to make fun of me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That kind of is true. He's always, he's always the leading Tuesday the show was created mm-hmm. to hate on me and Ian Mendez. That's it's disrespectful. It's mainly. I listened to the first episode. Ian. They just read reviews. They just read bad reviews of the Monday show for 10 minutes. It was a long time ago. We've, I mean, right. any number of things could happen in the last, like, in the last 15 That's years disrespectful. Regarding that. Yeah, look at us now. This is growth. <laughs> it's great. Uh, anyways, thanks everyone for for listening to another edition of the Monday Show. It sounds like I'm wrapping up the show already. Yeah, All right. All right. All right. Right. Let's go home. That's it's it, over. everyone. It's We're done. To talk you know about what? I've decided I don't want to do this today anymore. All nope. all apologies <laughs> to our scheduled guest Matt Damon. We've run out of time. Good <laughs> Yeah, we were actually going to have Braden Point on. That's the reason why he was not skating today in Tampa Bay because he's in the Zoom waiting room. But we're just going to tell him to go back on the ice because we're done for the day. But no, we've got a we've got a good show planned for you guys. Uh, Charlie O'Connor is going to be joining us. Obviously, there's lots going on in Philadelphia. They just hired John Tortorella officially after a couple weeks of everyone wondering if that's going to happen. So we'll get into it a little bit more with Charlie when he comes on. But first, let's just talk about the Stanley Cup final because last week we were talking about how this is just the series we wanted. We've got so much skill on both sides. Look at the matchups up and down the lineups. There's going to be so great. Uh, Avalanche up 2-0 after a very big blowout win on Saturday night. Is this what we were expecting from this series? I think I'm on record somewhere. It was in a text of somebody. I'm gonna dig this up because I need to actually back this up. But I like at the start of the I know everybody was psyched about the matchup, as we should have been. It's you know, current dynasty versus potential future dynasty. The the storylines there were rich. But at the jump, I I was kind of worried that this was gonna happen. <laughs> I was like, oh, this might be this feels like it could end up being, you know, abs and five. Now at the same time, like, was anybody expecting a football score in game two. I don't. I don't know about. I don't know about that. Mm-mm. No, I wasn't. 
you know, I, I think on paper, Colorado is the better team. Um, but I think Julian and I talked about this before we got on too. I think you can acknowledge how good Colorado is relative to literally anyone else in the league right now. Like this is the league's best team. I think we've all discussed that at varying points of the season. Maybe sometimes Florida was in that conversation, um, but they didn't make it very far in the postseason. Like Colorado's the best team in the league, and they're showing why. They're so deep. When they're clicking, they're they're so hard to contain. I've never seen Tampa Bay overwhelmed in the way that they were on Saturday night in the seven nothing loss. And I think you can acknowledge that Colorado is just the better team. Like it can be that simple. Like we don't need to galaxy brain this. Like Tampa Bay looks bad because they are not the best team in this series for the first time in probably a while, except for maybe that leaf series that they squeaked out of in overtime out of game seven. Um, but it's just, we don't want to also write off Tampa Bay at the same time. So it's just like Colorado, so good, so good, so good. But like the lightning are still the lightning and they haven't lost a playoff series since 2019. I don't know how many times I've said it in the last couple months is like, I will bet against Tampa Bay lightning when they finally lose a series. So that's kind of where uh, I'm at. What, I'm like, wait, who, meh. who's the, who's, who's the genius that, that, that you heard that one from? Is it me? No, I have my own thoughts. I wrote that. You're ripping me off again. This is what happens. I, uh, whatever. Okay, go back and listen to literally everything Sean Gentili has said about the Calgary That's Flames, right. and it's probably been written by me. And everyone's like, wow. I don't know what you're wow, talking the about. Tuesday boys know so much about the Calgary Flames. It's so great. Wow, Sean's, Sean's really got a deep breadth of knowledge about Elias Lindholm. Oh, baby. I'm just um, enjoying sitting back and just listening to all of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to say something, though, um, because <laughs> it, unless there's another series I'm missing, this is the fourth time all playoffs we've looked at a series from like a distance and we're just like, man, I'm really excited about this series. And it's going to mm-hmm. deliver. And it's going <laughs> to give us so much. And this is the fourth time we've been let down. Minnesota-St. Yeah. Louis. I hyped the hell out of that series. I was so it excited ended up being for that like series. St. Louis in six, and almost every game was a blowout. The Battle of Alberta. We're like, this is what we hey. wanted. We <laughs> wanted this series so much. Nope. It just ended up being like five games. Oh, man. Imagine, oh, right, uh, wait a second. Wait a second. Imagine having to cover that, that series, the Battle of Alberta. What a bummer that would be. Imagine getting stuck <laughs> having to deal with that dud. I looked Yikes. like I got hit by a truck in the press box in game one. There was like 50. There was oh. 10 goals in the first <laughs> 30 then, minutes of the game, and I was just sitting there like this raggedy little nothing, just like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> Anyways, Jordan, Col- continue. And then Colorado-Edmonton, <laughs> we were hyped about that series too, and then it ended up being a sweep for Colorado, and yeah. now we're watching the Stanley Cup Final. The series are like, these are the two best teams. This is going to be a great series. Colorado in seven. Tampa in six. This might be over by Wednesday. I don't think it will be, but we have a lot of people talking that way. Never believe in anything. That is the big takeaway from this year's playoffs. Never hype up anything. I think what we're learning and what the Tampa Bay Lightning are learning are that the Colorado Avalanche are a different beast. We're not talking about we're not talking about the Rangers anymore. You know, they're not they're not getting away with what they got away with it over the course of you know, this postseason. And I think example A is Vasilevsky. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm 
I was kidding about never betting against against the Lightning. That's not an original thought. I don't have that. I don't have that market cornered. But like the reason that people feel that way, the reason Haley feels that way, and me and you and anybody else, is because of Vasilevsky. Like you can say that when if Tampa's not clicking, that dude is the eraser. He's the equalizer. Like they can get away with playing bad games, mixing with all their great ones over the last however many years. You know that if you have that dude, you can get away with not being that good under most circumstances. And that is not the dude that we've seen show. Like, as great as he was against Florida, as great as he was whenever the the flip switched against... Toronto. The, flip switch, the switch flipped against, against Toronto. He's had problems. And it's an extension of the regular season. He was average. He was 9-16 in the regular season. He's had a bunch of duds in the playoffs. And that does that mean that Andre Vasilevsky himself is average? No. Does that take anything away from the last eight years of hockey that, that we've seen from him? No. What it does mean is that is that the eraser is gone, and that this dude is capable of having nights like on Saturday night or in Game One or whatever happens tonight. He he is capable of duds in a way that we haven't seen from him before. So I think he's gotten away with it over the course of the playoffs. He got away with it against New York. He was awful in those first two games. Awful. And you can get away with it when you're playing the Rangers as brutal of a five-on-five team as they are. You can't get away with that against the Colorado Avalanche. That's how you lose that's how you lose seven nothing is you get bad Andre Vasilevsky against against a team that's as impressive of a of a five-on-five, you know, force as, as we've seen. Well, you also just let Colorado cook in the offensive zone for as long as they want. Tampa mm-hmm. could not clear the zone. There was a couple of times where they only cleared the zone if somebody bobbled mm-hmm. the puck and it went out by accident. And then the Avs were just right back in. They are so quick in transition, too, that even – and they're better in their own zone than Tampa has shown in this series, too, because Tampa would finally get into the offensive zone. A play would get broken up. And then, you know, whoever, insert name here, has a – Odd man rush the other way, and and they're shooting, you know, high glove on Vasilevsky all night. They're they're picking their spots. They're picking their corners. It's not just the stat line that was concerning for Andre Vasilevsky. Obviously, letting in seven goals is bad, but there were some moments where he just looked lost in his net. Like he wasn't like getting to his posts. He was mm-hmm. slow on a glove save. He wasn't getting over. He didn't even know where the puck was sometimes. And those are the things that just signal fatigue almost with a goalie. It's oh, always hard sure. to analyze goaltenders because it's such a unique position and they're such rare breeds of people. Um, but those are things that you look at and it's just like, man, this guy, I mean, he Saturday was his 100th playoff game uh, mm-hmm. and his 82nd start of the year. He's doing ti- he's doing tired goalie stuff, right? Where he's he's dip he's yeah. dipping his shoulder and and all that. Yeah, and, he's played a lot of and having I don't have the ex- finished stats in front of me, but having what was it like sixty something shot attempts against you in all situations, mm-hmm. ten high danger chances in all situations. That is not a recipe for success with a tired goaltender. And and we talked about this with Joe Smith last week, Ian and I, when we had him on, and it and we asked like. Is he going to get tired eventually? Like this is, he's played over 225 hockey games in the last three seasons. Like, and everyone just kind of keeps asking, like, when is it going to fall off? And we might maybe it happens. be seeing that. <laughs> maybe it's already happened. What happens if you make a mistake against the New York Rangers? Like they're, they're not a strong five. You 
they they counterattack. You get a you get a chance against, and that's it. What happens if you make a mistake against the Colorado the Colorado Avalanche is like sustained zone time. It's not, it's you mm-hmm. know nine nineties. There's in their you know Tampa's clears were awful and, and and all that sort of stuff. You can get away with mistakes against against worse teams, right? Yeah. But but you it, get Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> Yeah, Freaking right. You get you bowling get, through the exactly. middle of the ice. You get you get, you get Kale, Kale McCard running running wheel routes, you know, in in the zone in the zone for for, <laughs> for seventy seconds. That's not that's not what happens against against New York. It's not what happens yeah. against Tampa. That's not what happens against other teams. So now their mistakes are just getting feasted on, and it is. It's in such a way that it that it preys on whether it's like whether it's skaters that have played a lot of hockey or whether it's the goaltender like it's a that's a lot to endure whenever you know that your mistakes are going to lead to that much sustained zone time i'm glad Haley mentioned uh how good colorado's been defensively because i don't think that's been hyped up enough like colorado is not allowing a lot of shots whenever they allow a shot from wherever from uh tampa they pretty much immediately get the puck back and they're sending it the other way and they're getting their offensive chances I forget who I was talking to. I think I think it was a uh, uh, off another podcast that I was doing. Uh, wait, wait, showed, wait, whoa, 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 whoa! You were, you were doing another podcast? Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do like twenty. Um, so uh, my co-host for that show, um, I just showed him like a heat map of what Tampa's like shots were like in Game Two, and mm-hmm. it's like you know, like on a heat map when you're really like feeling it, you know, you mm. see the different colors. It's like green, then it goes to like red or whatever because of the high volume of shots for Tampa. It's just like these green dots green. in like a line, and not even like oh, you know, like, like green blobs above the face-off circles, like yeah. blue line, and, blue like, line and dots. they're just these, yeah, like they're not getting a lot of pressure and they're not getting a lot of shots in. It is not a good time. For Tampa, this one play I keep thinking of in that game two game, the Darren Helm, the Darren Helm goal. So before that happens, like Ross Colton is in the offensive zone and he finds a way to get the puck. And he's trying to like turn around. He's trying to put the puck on net and it goes off an avalanche player skate and then it goes up and then Darren Helm goes. If you do like a freeze frame of when Colton's trying to put the puck on net, there's like four avalanche defenders in front of the net. Like. There's been a lot of that and 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 denied zone entries. And again, to my ultimate point, like we I don't think enough people accounted for the fact that Colorado's defense would be that good. I think we all expected mm-hmm. Tampa would be the team that would stifle Colorado offensively. I don't think anyone or as many people accounted for Colorado doing the same thing to Tampa this soon and this effectively through these two games. And if they can't find a way to solve that Tampa in game three, the series is I, I don't want to say it's over. It is not going to look good for the Tampa Bay Lightning if they can't solve it. Yeah. And, and I mean, they're doing such a good job, as you so greatly described with the heat maps and all the different colors. You're not seeing anything in between the circles. Like Colorado is keeping them to the perimeter at such a, a high rate every time they enter the offensive zone. And, and that's where most goals are scored in the playoffs, unless you're Kale McCarr and you're scoring shorthanded in the slot because you're one of the best players in the world at this point. Are we at that point? Like, we're fine saying that with Kale McCarr. That wasn't a, a weird thing to say. He no. is He's a one top of the best five players player in the, the National Hockey League. Undisputed. Yeah, he's a absolutely. top five player. Yeah, he's, he's the only best 23. Defenseman. I've had That's multiple. Nuts. I've had multiple people, my, <laughs> my, my cousin being one of them, like Penguins fans, but not NHL at large fans, 
not catching a lot of, you know, 10 p.m. Eastern starts when it's, you know, Avs versus stars in February or whatever. Who are but they just, just like, like, holy crap, who is my, this guy? They my my <laughs> cousin was was literally like, who's like who's eight? <laughs> oh, <laughs> just man. like was like, who who is this guy? I'm like, Eastern okay. Eastern bias isn't a thing. It's mm. I I'm the last person, I'm the last person to ever <laughs> say that because it is it is it is absolutely a thing. People like to sleep. What are you gonna do? Um yeah. Can I say this about though. Kale though? I yeah. no wait, I have a thing to say. Go ahead. I stayed up incredibly late watching that new young adult show on Prime Video. <laughs> I think I slept for three hours. I finished the whole thing. Anyways. I, I watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit last night. Big day. Um. Anyways, no, Julian watching. had something yeah, to say. Sorry. I yeah, just, wait a second. Whatever. Okay. Okay. I, I was watching The Simpsons. Um, I just want to say with Caleb McCarr, <laughs> I've been saying this at different points in the playoffs. I just, just because I know you two are really great hockey minds, I just want to know if I'm <laughs> on base here. Uh, one of us is. I think... I not think me, not me. I think Kale McCarr is the closest thing the NHL has to like an NBA point guard. Hundred percent. In the fact that like with his handles, the way he's able to maneuver through up and down the playing surface, just like like there's I forget which game I think it was in the playoffs against the the Preds where he's like coming up the ice and he literally does like a head fake and like makes mm-hmm. his way up. Kale McCarr is literally like the closest thing we have to like watching. Kyrie Irving, like on the floor, but I don't have to worry about Kale McCarr telling me he's not going to play because of a vaccine mandate or <laughs> or throw sage somewhere or the earth is flat. As far as I know, and look, I don't know Kale McCarr's <laughs> Kale, business. Please <laughs> look, just chill. But I think he's a hockey, watching he's a hockey Kale player. McCarr, you never know. I think watching Kale McCarr is one of the best things we could do. Like watching. Just hockey generally, and it is not yeah. a. Di- and you mentioned him being a t- uh, one of the best players in the world. That's not a dispute. It, it, it might look yeah. weird when it comes time uh, for the Norris Trophy and Roman Yossi wins, and we're all like, "Oh my god, wait, why did Roman Yossi win instead of Kale McCarr?" Mm. Because Roman Yossi had a really good year. But don't worry, Kale McCarr will get his. He's gonna get so many, and I think that's. He, I think that's one of the reasons why some people may have voted for Roman Yossi over Kale McCarr is like. When's the next time we're going to see a season like this from someone like Roman Yossi? Let's <coughs> give it to him now because Kale McCarr is going to do this next year and the year after and the year after, and he's just mm-hmm. going to win how many Norris trophies? And like Roman Yossi had an excellent season. Like he was the MVP of that team. Um, but I just think Kale McCarr is incredible. Like he is absolutely worth the price of admission. And I feel like. Devon Taves doesn't always get enough credit. I'm sure he does 100%. in the Colorado market, but he is an excellent defender, and that is a very good con. He's only making like four point one million dollars, and there was a point in time when we were talk where people were talking about, well, should Devon Taves be on my Nor- Norris ballot too? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about both of them just getting like dropped into the Team Canada lineup as like the first pair on Team Canada at the Olympics. May that tournament rest in peace for NHLers. But <laughs> like those were the conversations we were having. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's a that's a pretty it's, solid way. It's a pretty solid way to spend two second round picks on Devontae's, right? That's well. That's oh, well spent. Absolutely. That's good. I mean, the this these two teams in the Cup final is a, almost like a tour de force and in, in good pro scouting and drafting and developing. It's pr- it's pro scouting and cap management and cap management. <laughs> like, in, Go down the list, and they're doing it all 
in incorporating data analysis into the decisions you make and into how those are communicated to the players. Like this is this is the first I saw someone frame it this way where it was like, you know, the first one to re- the first franchise to really get it, and then we got the we got the next the next wave of of people who've taken it taken it to the next level. I, I you know I'm going to shout out honestly Josh Manson. He's been he's been really good. I think he's shout been part Josh of. Manson. Right, I mean, I, like that. He's one of you know. You look at whether it's Cogliano, whether it's obviously Lekkinen. I mean, the the trade deadline guys have have paid off in a big way. But Manson, I think, is is the one that they needed more than anybody. They needed they needed one more guy in that top five, especially especially now it's paying off big because they're playing even tougher minutes because because of what happened to Sam Gerrard, but. You know, Josh Manson, he's on for he's on for, you know, thirty-three attempts for eighteen against, which is good even for the Avalanche. You know, ex gold beast. He's up he's up he's up over seventy-five. He's doing what he needs to do, and I think he added an an element. He's a pretty well rounded player, and he's looked more like the guy who we saw early in the early in his time with the Ducks. So yeah, I mean, whatever. What else can we say? I mean the the Avs are the Avs are <laughs> the Avs are awesome, which means they're gonna go out and lose, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Five two and Vasilevsky's gonna have 46 saves tonight. Then we got to we, we got to blow this up and start over. But they're awesome. <laughs> so so let's just get more into that. I mean, a couple of updates from Morning Skate. These will probably be out there for a while once this episode does drop, but um from Peter no Kadri, Burkowski or Landeskog on the ice for Morning Skate. Um I believe the last update on Burkowski that he was being evaluated but he would travel. It's probably a day-to-day situation I want to say was the last update we got from from Peter. Um and then in Tampa there was no Braden Point or Andre Vasilevsky on the ice. Um Vasilevsky's probably just taking the option and Braden Point is a game time decision for game 3. Is there anything we think is going to happen tonight? I'll let you guys go first, and then I want to hook it back to this um, Down Goes Brown story about what happens after seven mm-hmm. nothing losses in the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup final. <laughs> I just feel that for Tampa, I feel <laughs> normally we look at these games and we say, like, man, uh, this player has to be the X factor. They need to be the key to win. And maybe that could fall on Andre Vasilevsky. John Cooper is the X factor for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm-hmm. Because I can't imagine being in a situation where you're in a Stanley Cup final. You have the best goalie in the world. You have a top three defenseman in the world. You have some of the best forwards. Uh, one of the best forward cores, if not the best forward core, at least in your conference or at least around the league. At least one of the top forward cores you could have. And it is doing, like, it's not effective. Like, right. like imagine that scenario at all. John Cooper has to put together a game plan that takes the puck away from Colorado, imposes themselves physically, I guess, or you have to find a way to just be super defensive and ensure that you're blocking shots and you're you're trying to keep a clean sheet for Andre Vasilevsky. And the biggest mm-hmm. thing, the biggest way that's going to happen is John Cooper and his coaching staff putting together some kind of set of tactics to kind of help out Tampa in that regard. That's what has to happen. Mm-hmm. And he was trying. We saw a bunch of different mm-hmm. line combinations. They came out in the second period. What was it? it was Sorelli uh, Point it was a lot. and Kucherov. Yeah. He just started loading it up. He started mixing things up. We didn't see Corey Perry for a while in the second period after he took, um, I guess it was the offsetting minors, him and Darcy Kemper, but we didn't see Corey Perry for a while. Um, 
So I don't know. I think John Cooper's obviously a great coach, and we'll see what having last change does Cooper for with, him. Cooper with last, Cooper with last change to, is always is exactly. pretty good. And I remember talking to Daryl Sutter about this too, and not every coach is like this, but Sutter is someone who's like, it's not always about the line matching. It's about making sure that your top defenseman's out against great forward groups. But at the same time, once Daryl started line matching Michael Backlund against Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid wasn't as effective, but it's fine. We won't talk about that anymore. I don't obviously don't know anything about coaching compared to, to these guys, but I'll be curious to see what John Cooper does. Um, I think we'll see a lot of Anthony Sorelli against that's the problem with Colorado is it's like, well, you well, can try okay. to get him to neutralize McKinnon, but then who comes next? Yeah, so if especially, yeah. especially if Burakovsky doesn't play, then that then yes. the the depth works a little bit differently, and you maybe that's when you see Cooper throw the Sorelli line out there against McKinnon. It's just like, yo, go with God. Like we're gonna t- whatever ha- whatever <laughs> happens here, like so be it. We need to find a way to score goals, and that's that's when. Mm-hmm. But then you're like. Is there is there going to be no point? What does what does that mean for for the Stamkos line? It really it's 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 a I I think you need to always need to be careful to overthink like matchup stuff on days before on on days of games because you start looking at who's at who's in, potentially in and who's out and whatever. Especially when you're talking about a venue change. But this is one of those times where I think it is actually super interesting because you have two coaches who are both really into matching lines. That's not a given, and mm-hmm. it and it's in Tampa. Like, like we've, we've changed, we've changed spots from, from Denver to Tampa. So it is, it is going to be super interesting when you think about the guys that are involved, when you think about the arena change and when you think about, you know, potentially the lineup changes from, from two to three, it's going to be interesting, but. Do you guys buy into the altitude stuff? I feel like players have played through it enough where they should be used to it. And I feel, I don't know, like I I know they mentioned almost every time in every sport, whenever it's in Denver, but like, I feel like if you've been there enough, you should be able to get acclimatized to it. But I I don't know. Unless you have like, uh, like a health, a health condition that the, the cause, like whether it's asthma or I, I mean, going way back here, but Ryan Clark who played for the Steelers. That's the exact example I was thinking of. He has he had he has the sickle cell trait. So there was a, there was a game where he was just like he 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 had a ba- he came out of it and was obviously super sick. I think made made an ER trip, and that was it. Like he was like I'm just not I'm not going to play there again. That's ob- obviously obviously less of a factor in the NHL. You're not going to have a ton of guys with the sickle cell trait probably on on on, ho- on hockey rosters. But I, it, it is it's one of those things where. I think that's I think that's media driven more than anything, right? I, right, and, and it's also normal person driven. Like, if any of the three of us oh. go, if any of the three of us go to Denver on day one or day two, we're gonna be like, "Whoa, all right, this feels this feels different." But we're also not yeah. we're also not elite athletes, right? Like, it's Why less it's less it's less of an issue for them. All right, so before we move on to talk to Charlie O'Connor, just um, the Down Goes Brown story. Essentially, he had this great piece come out just looking at what happens historically in the playoffs after blowouts. And he went through each time we've we've seen this happen. The last time there was a big blowout in the playoffs was, I mean, other than looking at some of these Battle of Alberta games, those weren't really <laughs> blowouts. Those were just like... Oh, God, there's 16 goals in this game. Um, The last big one that he mentioned was the 7-3 win by the Bruins over St. Louis in 2019 in Game 3. We know that St. Louis won that series. They won the Stanley Cup that year. But that was the last time we can say, like, someone put up a 7. Or not put up a 7, but 
blew out a team mm-hmm. in the Stanley Cup playoffs here. Um, but what we kind of ended up learning from this whole exercise was Saturday night was one for the history books. It was the fourth time in Stanley Cup final history that a team had lost by seven or more. And in each of the other three cases in 91, 96, and 2011, the team that won the big blowout went on to win the series. Um, And he said, in fact, the team on the losing end only went on to win one more game combined with five losses after losing by seven in the Stanley Cup final. Um, So the outlook's not great (laughs) Um, after a game like that. um, You can look at the Blues for inspiration. Obviously, they ended up winning that series after losing that game to the Bruins seven to two, but we'll see what happens with this one. Um, We're running tight on time for Charlie. So everyone will be right back with Charlie O'Connor from the Flyers. beat. All right, everyone, we are back with my voice just cracked a little bit. Yeah. Are you sorry? This is fine. Leave it in. I don't care. It's fine. We're gonna gonna have to have, have to have a talk on some other changes that are going to be happening here over over the next oh, over the next please. little bit. That is so 13, gross. 13 year old boy. I'm just Whoa. nervous. <laughs> it's okay. That's enough. I was just nervous because Charlie's here. Charlie O'Connor covers the Philadelphia Flyers. He had another big week in Philadelphia. I feel like as we were talking about this before he came on, I feel like every time we bring Charlie on, it's like so. <laughs> let's dive into. Whatever just happened with the Flyers. So, Charlie, thanks for joining us to to get into it all. Yeah, it's awesome to be on the show. Thanks, everyone. Sorry about my voice. Somebody else asked the first question. I need to recover. <laughs> so, the fact that John Tortorella has, is is now head coach of of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, do you think he's a good fit for this roster and and where the Flyers are just kind of generally at right now? So, it's a really interesting question because. There's maybe a disconnect between where I think the Flyers are at and where the Flyers think the Flyers are at. And I think that John Tortorella is a really good head coach hire for where the Flyers believe they're at (laughs) and what they believe their plan should be. Now, where I think they're at, he might not be the best hire. But if you go back to to January when we spoke with Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott, who essentially is the owner, he's the uh, the chairman and CEO of Comcast Spectacore, the entity that owns the Flyers. And then the messaging we got from both of those men was that the Flyers are not going to rebuild. They're not going to blow it up. They're not going to strip it down to the studs. They're going to aggressively retool. That was the messaging we got in January. Now, granted, then you had another three months of truly hard hockey that led the Flyers to finish with the fourth worst record in hockey. We spoke with Chuck Fletcher after the season. He pulled it back a little bit. He basically said, we're going to try to balance the future with the present. He compared the expected offseason to the 2019 offseason when the Flyers hired Elaine Vino, traded for Matt Niskanen, signed Kevin Hayes, traded for Justin Braun. So they made moves, but they didn't necessarily you know, completely empty the cupboard which was kind of the implication we got with the aggressive retool messaging in January. That said, both of those interviews strongly imply that the Flyers are not going to rebuild. They are not looking at this as we are going to take the next two to three years to restructure our roster and build with draft picks and try to get the kind of high-end talent that they clearly need through the draft. They're going to try to improve quickly. Now, 
it's completely understandable why John Tortorella would be a very attractive hire, given the fact that they do not believe that they need to rebuild. They want to turn this around quickly because you're not going to hire John Tortorella if you think it's going to take three years for you to be a relevant team again. You're hiring John Tortorella because you think next year he can improve the team significantly, probably not enough to be a cup contender, but at least enough to be at least in the mix for a playoff spot. And then from there, you can get better and better. That's kind of where they're at. They think next year is a transition year where they'll improve and get back to relevancy. And then they can use that as a springboard to get, you know, hopefully in the next two, three years to become a legitimate contender. Now, where I stand is I don't think they have the roster that can do that, regardless Mm -hmm. of coach, unless they can somehow figure out a way to add one or two big pieces, whether that's through the draft or whether that's through free agency or trades. Now, maybe they can do it. Maybe they have a way where they can fit everybody under the cap and they can not totally decimate their depth while trading for a couple star players. Maybe they can pull it off. I'm just very skeptical. But according to what they have articulated as their plan, Tortorella makes a lot of sense because Tortorella in his opening press conference basically sold the idea that he wants to change the team's mentality. He wants to get them to work harder. He wants to get them to work smarter. And he wants to bring the Flyers back to playing the way they played when they were the Philadelphia Flyers. You you were scared to go in the Wells Fargo Center because they were a tough team. They were tough to play against. And that's the kind of stuff that people who run the Flyers were absolutely going to love because it's music to their ears. Red meat, baby. It's music to their ears. My thing is that I think the Flyers are further away than the Flyers believe they are. But according to the Flyers' plan, if you're judging this based on their execution of their stated plan, this hire makes a lot of sense. Whether their stated plan is a good one is where I take umbrage. Well, I think it's so interesting. And I always go back to this because I'm in Calgary and I cover the Flames. Like when they brought in Daryl Sutter, it was he gets the best out of his players. And, and this is the coach that we need for this group. And we saw that work really well. But we're talking about Daryl Sutter taking Matthew Kachuk and having him have a 42-goal, 105-point season. Johnny Gaudreau having a 115-point season. Lys home 40 goals. Jacob Markstrom's a net. John Tortorella is similar in the sense that he, he is hard to play for, but he gets the best out of his players. He's a results-based, like, win-now kind of coach, but the Flyers don't exactly have the personnel to say, like, oh, yeah, we have a 115-point player that's just a little bit untapped. Tortorella's going to get it out of them. Like, is there anyone on that team that you can see having that kind of turnaround? I I, I think there's some players who are untapped, um, but is there anyone that's going to get that level, that's going to have them, you know, win, win their division next year? I'm very skeptical. I mean – I'm a big, big Sean Couturier fan. He obviously missed a significant portion of last year with a back injury that eventually he had to get surgery. I'm fairly optimistic that he's going to come back his old self. And as I said, big Sean Couturier guy, but Sean Couturier, the hard truth is that he's not a dynamic player. He's a really, really good two-way center, but he's not the best player on a cup contender. He's just not. And I say this as someone who has defended Sean Gattere for years. I think he's, when he's healthy, he's a yearly Selkie Trophy candidate. I think he's great. But he's not the kind of guy that you stick on a power play and everybody's scared that he's going to burn you. That's just not Sean Gattere. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a ceiling to what he can provide. I would say the one guy on the team that I do believe does have 
star level potential. Now, whether he gets there is another story, but I do think Carter Hart could be one of the better goalies in hockey. I don't know if he gets there, but I think he has that ability. I think he's been hurt the last couple of years by just how structureless the team has been, especially last year. I think he played a lot better than his numbers might've made him look. Um, And Tortorello, I believe will help him, you know, because he will reinstitute structure into that team. But if you're talking about the skaters, you know, they put a lot of faith in the guys like Travis Konechny and Ivan Provorov thinking that they were going to be the next kind of the next generation of impact guys. And for a brief period of time, it looked like they were going to reach that spot. You know, Ivan Provorov had a great 2019, 2020 season alongside Matt Niskanen. Travis Konechny was nearly a point per game guy that season. It looked like they were taking that leap. The last two years, they've stagnated and regressed. And now they just look like nice players. They look like good players. They're players that any team would want to have in the middle of their lineup. But are they the guys that can be at the top of a lineup of a really good team? I'm skeptical. And then you have the other other young guys they have, like Joel Farabee, nice player. Really, really solid winger. Probably will, will top out as a really good second line winger. But you can't have a team just full of a bunch of second liners and your best player is Sean Couturier, who is a is a one C, yes, but he's not an elite one C. He's not, you know, on the level of the top guys. So I'm with you. You know, you look at Calgary, and I'm sure that's something they're thinking. You know, Calgary, they got the right coach, and then they had a great regular season and looked like one of the better teams in hockey. But Calgary had Johnny Goudreau. Calgary had, you know, Matthew Kachuk. Calgary had those guys. I'm not convinced, aside from maybe Carter Hart, and again, not a guarantee. But maybe aside from him, I don't see the Flyers having those pieces yet. So it just comes down to whether they can get them, and it's not going to be easy to get them. Yeah, I mean, connect is there me one in. of them available? Just kidding. Let's there, table that. There Sean, might be. <laughs> I mean, that was that was sort of where I was going. I mean, connect me and Farabee are guys who you look at them, and you're like, oh yeah, uh, John Tortorella can drag those guys to the fifth, like the the second wild card in the in, in the in the Eastern Conference. I don't know if that's ne- necessarily where they want to be. Obviously, uh, but a big question, a big big reason for that is is it's the cap space question, right? Like how much of it, how much of a role does that play in their thinking? Where you said they've kind of softened since the aggressive retool line and all that. Like, have they looked at that roster and just said like <laughs> I, seriously, and just been like, all right, next year is going to be tough because we're because if we want to do an aggressive retool, we need cap space. And the way that they go about finding it, like for if you just glance at it, you're like, I don't, I don't see where the, the space for improvement is going to come. So I mean, I know, I know you look at that stuff really closely. Like, if they want to get better, they're going to have to, they're going to have to create space. How would they create space based on what they have right now? It's a fascinating question, and it's something that the people I've talked to in the organization, they know. You know, they know that they're not facing a particularly great cap situation. There are guys that honestly probably can't be moved. You know, Kevin Hayes had three surgeries in the span of 12 months, probably doesn't have really any trade value and he's got no trade protection. So it's not even going to be easy to move him if you decided to Ryan Ellis, who knows what, what's up with him at this point. He played four games last year and they're still trying to figure out if he'll be able to come back. Like those are big contracts that Probably are unmovable. Sean Couturier just signed a big deal. I don't think they want to move him, but even if they did, he's got a no movement clause kicking in on July 13th when this when the, the calendar year changes. So then he becomes legitimately unmovable if he doesn't want to leave. The one guy who, if they if they really want to clear space, 
I do think they could find a way to jettison James Van Reems like $7 million. Now, they might have to pay with a top draft pick to get someone to take that on. But I do think if they, you know, we, we, we beat around the bush a little bit last question, but if they found out that Johnny Goudreau was going to sign a deal with the mm-hmm. Flyers, if they can clear the cap space, what? I think they, they could move James Van Reems like to get some of that space if they absolutely had to. But it's not like, teams are banging down the door trying to get James Van Reems like like you're going to probably have to attach a draft pick or a prospect for him and when you're a team that finished with the fourth worst record in hockey do you really want to be giving up top draft picks to move out cap space it's so fascinating when I did the story like four five places he could go if it's not Calgary there was one comment from a Flyers fan that was really smart and it was just like this is probably the worst possible time <laughs> to be trying to get Johnny Gaudreau to come home because attendance is at an all-time low. Fourth in the you know in the league fourth last in the league last year. Team doesn't look great. Like sure, even if you get Johnny Gaudreau, who's he gonna play with? What does the rest of the lineup look like? Like even if they can make some moves this summer this team's still not going to be great. Like, I don't think just adding Johnny Gaudreau solves all your problems, especially when you're looking at it with a long-term outlook the way that you are. What's it going to cost to try to do the necessary moves around to get a guy like that in? Like, what are you doing for the long-term future of the team right now? It's a really good point. And, and the thing, too, that you have to remember with these, you know, the kind of contract that he's going to require, you know, if, <laughs> it, you know, maybe he gives the Flyers a bit of a hometown discount if he really wants to come home. But, you know, he's still getting probably $10 million a year. And the way these contracts work is that you sign a guy to a $7 million or seven-year deal, you assume that... The first half of the deal, he's providing value. And the second half of the deal, when he's into his mid-30s, he's probably not a $10 million a year player anymore. So the only way those deals make sense is if you're contending in the years when he's providing value. And can the Flyers really be sure that even if they get Johnny Goudreau, that they will be a legitimate contender in the first two, three, four years of that deal? I don't think so. Now, he certainly would help them sell tickets. Like, the business side of the organization would love it if they got Johnny because hometown kid comes home. He's a legitimate star player. You sell him, you sell torts. Then you've got the makings of a pitch that you can call up former season ticket holders and try to get them to come back. So they would love it. Now, whether it's the right move from an, a roster construction standpoint, that's another question entirely. And it very well might not be. But again, if you're... If you're going with this idea of we're trying to compete now, we're trying to turn it around quickly, the Flyers very clearly need high-end talent. So again, getting Johnny Goudreau, if he hits the market and if he's willing to sign with the Flyers, it's kind of like the torts hire where it makes sense based on their stated plan. It's just a matter of whether the stated plan actually is a good one. I love the, I love the JVR question because it's just one of those examples where every team has maybe not quite on the scale of paying JVR six or $7 million or whatever, whatever he's getting, but everyone thinks that they can dump these guys on the coyotes or or whoever. They're like, Oh yeah, fine. We'll just throw in a sweetener and send them, send them to Arizona Island. And that'll, that, that'll be the end of it. Like whether it's Sean Monahan, like every team has somebody or they're like, yeah, we'll just like some team will, some, some team will just want to pick and, and take and take the cap space. 
it's 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 just so hard to see them to see them clearing up clearing up the space necessary to to make a to make a run at that dude. But his salary is like five million. Oh, I know. Yeah. The, so <laughs> there's a two million the difference in the salary versus cap. <laughs> the coy- the, coy- the coyotes are going to be a cap team. That's the, yeah. that's what that's what <clears throat> like who knows how much real money it's going to be. But they're taking everybody's bad players. They're solving problems for everybody. Clearly. Well, they've said that they're open for a business in that regard, aren't they? JVR did lead the Flyers in goals. Flyers leading goal scorer. Yep, so you're someone, you're, you're, you're selling to. the Flyers <laughs> top goal scorer. <laughs> Every and, team yeah, has that's a leading thing. goal scorer. Well, it's not like we're talking about Sean Monahan who has two off-season hip right. surgeries. He's only scored 18 goals and like 50 points in his last 115 games over the last two seasons. This is not like a I mean, look, it's a it's not a good contract and on for an aging player, but it, this isn't like Nick Ritchie or yeah. Sean Monahan or Milan Lucic we're talking about here. There is a little bit of something that they can sell to the Coyotes with James Van Riemsdyk. I just want to see the I, I want to see the shell game that leads to it. Like if they're if they're like, all right, we got to clear ten million dollars because Johnny in some universe where Kajo's like, I'm going there. They only have five million no in else. space right now. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and they have guys they got to resign. I mean, Charlie, but Charlie, Ugh. Charlie, you wrote it. You wrote it right after the aggressive retool thing. I I remember you're like, I don't like. Where's this? <laughs> where's this coming from like they, they gotta where yeah where are you paying for this retool it's like uh, step one step one is clear cap space like step two is profit You're yeah like, don't don't ask about step one let's not worry about how we act, skip all the how steps get there yeah. I, I i actually i made that exact analogy on our broad street hockey radio podcast this yeah. week about how it just seems like it's you know yeah we're going to hire a good coach and get the high-end talent and then profit Every, everything but will be fine yeah everything's gonna be great but like why, how do you do yeah, the, the middle stuff? chart hey, why, don't, why, don't more, why don't more teams just do that it's so easy you just get you just get a good coach and get good players everybody should do that it's that simple yeah. We put our heads together for a three-step plan. <laughs> Charlie, I have one other question I want to ask you because oh, look, there's a still lot of here. Sorry, I know, Sorry. I know. So this has been great for my voice. I don't have to dominate conversation and talk all the time. I'm actually grateful for this. There's one thing about this Tortorella hiring that I am very intrigued about, and I think it's the most important thing, more than how he deals with players, more than perception. I just want to know how long it takes before he gets annoyed of Gritty. Because John Tortorella being in Philly and having Gritty around, I feel there's like a social media, like all these possibilities with him. And I just totally see John Tortorella being like, to hell with this. Don't put me in no damn video with that Gritty man, please. What if he, what would happen if he silly stringed John Tortorella? I can guess. Oh my. Oh, that'll happen. (laughs) That's going to (laughs) happen. Dude, oh no! It'd be nuts. I I have a feeling. I mean, and it's possible. One thing about this that I'm very much looking forward to is that, regardless of how this works, it's going to be really entertaining to cover. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to this purely from a journalism standpoint. That either it's gonna the Flyers are going to get a lot better, and Tortorella is going to be a lot of fun because he's going to be you know the showman who is always saying the things that make it very easy to write stories, or it's going to be a total disaster. And that will also be fun in its own sort of way. But I kind of have a feeling that him and Gritty, like he strikes me as the kind of guy where at least in the beginning, he's going to be 
putting together videos where they're, you know, like mock fighting and stuff like that. I just, I, I get the sense that he's going to play along with it for quite a while. And maybe if the whole thing goes off the rails and the team is just awful, then he'll start refusing because get like, away from me, Gritty. Yeah. No more <laughs> fun and games. You, know what you, <laughs> but, do? you just get a bunch of these in the can now. Like, yeah, like, yes. like Torch yes. for the last for the last three days should have just been shooting gritty content. So you can just get get all this out of the way. You can have like you can roll it out over the course of the season whenever they've lost eleven of thirteen or whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> the, Do okay. you think that if you're the person in the gritty costume? Do you like introduce yourself as like a human person to John Tortorella, or do yeah. you just like stay in gritty and okay, not let him know I'm, who I'm, you are? Hey, I'm 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 Dan. Have you we're, met we're Gritty, Charlie? <laughs> I so I have not met Gritty the human, but I know who Gritty the human is. Wow, oh. that sounds like a big expose. Honestly. Oh, okay. <laughs> we need the, the the bigger. I mean, okay. Julian's asking about the, about the gritty torch relationship. That's fine. The my my. It's an important question to ask, Sean. No, what I'm excited for is the Charlie O'Connor John Tortorella relationship because we're going to watch that play out right in front of us, baby, and it is fun. I am, I am optimistic. I think me and Torts are going to get along. (laughs) Honestly, I do. I've I've heard. What's so funny? He's going to be fine. You guys are being mean. Is this what you did when Daryl got hired in Calgary? I think it's nice. It's just that you know, if we get to a point where there's like a fun back and forth fun a back and forth between charlie and and john we're gonna go back to this episode and be like oh we're gonna get your questions and then like it is going it is going to happen i hope they make the playoffs just so you get you get a taste of playoff towards because yes that is that is a different beast my boy like it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun who has the better sound clips with media is it tortorella or is it daryl oh I, I think Torts. We should do a there, was, <laughs> there was a run that Torts was on from like, we'll say like 2007 until he was done with the Rangers, where it was just like it was it was unparalleled, honestly. For as for as consistently funny and dry as as Sutter can be, Torts like early early 2010s Torts is is unbeatable. Torts toward Larry Brooks that he would get look like he got beat up at a bus stop somewhere. <laughs> like I don't think anyone Sutter Sutter's on his best day can't touch like a very prickly John Tortorella. John Tortorella was sitting in ESPN studios talking about like, oh, I don't know if, if Connor McDavid, the way that he plays, is gonna be suitable for the playoffs. And we ate that shit up. Daryl Sutter on his best day can't touch quotables from John Tortorella. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. Did you see the thing about when someone asked about the cushion of like, how do you feel about like the cushion of going up to nothing in the series? Or no, it was like in the regular season. It was like, how do you feel about the cushion you have in the Pacific? He's like, well, the thing about cushions is if you take the feathers out, you don't have a cushion anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What? That that was like, if you keep losing, you don't have your cushion. And that's the same thing. If you take your feathers out of a pillow, then what do you have? You just have a a sheet. That's a fortune cookie line. (laughs) It is. Like Daryl, that's like a, a, that's a, that's a haiku. Anyways, what was the question? I don't know. There wasn't something one. about gritty. My my favorite gritty uh, <laughs> event was when was when gritty got. There was like a lawsuit about him, like apparently pushing a kid. But the funny part about the lawsuit is that in all of the stories about the lawsuit, it wasn't that they were suing the person in the gritty costume. 
they were suing Gritty, Gritty. The, the entity. <laughs> yeah, like, it was always presented as like Gritty is getting sued. Like you do realize Gritty isn't actually real. Like yeah. we, we we are we are How aware of this, end? right? Like to imagine to imagine like pulling like pulling court files on it. It's like the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania against Gritty. That's the gritty. people the people of Pennsylvania against versus Gritty. gritty. <laughs> Oh God! Was the kid okay? What happened? Yeah, yeah. I, I I think it it kind of petered out. Um, but it was just one. It was truly wild that everyone there was somehow this like unspoken belief that we had to just continue to acknowledge that gritty is actually real. And it's like, okay, has, has the entire world just committed to this bit? Is that where we're at now? Yeah, Commit to the bit. Baby. I feel. You guys have I feel really. A yeah, I feel really bad. I remember remember when the Canes mascot was like taking it on the teeth for the <laughs> sign thing. The pig? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the pig. And and I think it was someone was like, you don't know the person in the mascot. They're actually really nice. And I was like, I, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know the person in the pig I... costume like I do. Like, yeah, uh, you're, you're right. It was you're a right. dumb we tweet. <laughs> you're right. I don't know the person inside the pig costume <laughs> in Carolina. You're right. Anyways. One oh. time I wore a falcon costume in high school. Did anyone hear that? <laughs> yeah, we did. I was waiting uh, for the next part. When I part. was in high school, our <laughs> yeah. high school, no one said anything. Did I cut out? <laughs> when I was in high school, our mascot was Freddy the Falcon. He's yeah. a big red bird, and uh, I wore the costume for a pep rally before a basketball game, and I did a cartwheel and I ripped my pants. There you go. Ooh. And I <laughs> Ouch. Luckily, wait, wait, I was going second. to my wait. own basketball game, so I just wore my okay. basketball shorts for the rest of the day. And that was the start of your mascot and career, and that is what- and I am gritty. you are gritty. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. I'm actually in Philadelphia, and I can't wait to meet John. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> All right. I've got one more serious question for Charlie. What is going on with Ryan Ellis? That's a fascinating question. Uh, so <laughs> the Ryan Ellis situation is a very, very convoluted one that I believe now actually has a degree of clarity. But when I say degree of clarity, I certainly don't mean full clarity. So he obviously played four games this season. The Flyers and Ryan Ellis's camp were both very hush-hush throughout the year about the nature of the injury. I had heard lots of different things throughout the course of the year, mostly that it was related to his core, but I had heard maybe four different explanations as, as to what it was. And as it turned out, they probably were all true because they truly did not know exactly what the problem was. They eventually... You know, he disappeared for a while. He wasn't really hanging out at the Flyers facility anymore. He was going around to other doctors. He just kind of disappeared. Well, then on exit interview day, the day after game 82, he came back and in kind of a surprise, we got to talk to him on the record for the first time, probably since like December, November of 2020 or 2021, I believe. Um, and he was open about you know he, he was open about the fact that there was serious you know questions about what exactly the problem was they were having trouble diagnosing it they eventually determined that it was a he called it a multi-layered pelvic <laughs> issue which uh, you know what honestly you don't have to go into more detail than that buddy yeah. uh, but anyway um, th- he's not going to undergo surgery 
And basically, they believe that they now have him on a treatment plan that doesn't involve surgery that will have him ready for camp next season. That said, as much as as much confidence as was expressed by Ellis and by Chuck Fletcher at the end of the season, and it was, I think this is as confident as they've been that they can address this problem. There very clearly isn't full confidence because in Chuck Fletcher's final interview of the year, he's obviously had more since the hiring of Torts, but the one that was right after the season, I directly asked him if if he's going into the offseason operating under the assumption that Ryan Ellis will be ready for game one. And in turn, are you going into the offseason figuring that you really don't need to address the defense beyond maybe signing a third pair defenseman to fill it out? Because they have, you know, Provorov, Ellis, Travis Sanheim, Rasmus Ristolainen, and, and then Cam York. All they really need is one more guy if everyone slots in where they assume. But if Ryan Ellis isn't a sure thing, then you maybe want to get somebody to play with Ivan Provorov because Rasmus Alainen isn't good enough to play on the top pair. We learned that in Buffalo. And Fletcher's answer was fascinating. And it was, well, the way Ellis's treatment plan is set up, we're going to have a really good idea of how well he's responding to it by the end of June, early July, which is right around the time we're going to have to make decisions on what we're doing in the offseason anyway. So it kind of works out. That's not a lot of confidence. That's kind of like, we're going to wait and see if this works, which tells me they don't know if it's going to work. And I, it's it's scary because he's they're at least a top pair defensive form, if not their best defenseman, if he could stay healthy. And they still don't know if this is going to work. So it's it's a concern for a team that wants to turn this around quick. Provorov. Provorov. Is he, does Provorov stay put? Also a very interesting question. Um, I think that he's out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that that he is available. I don't think they are necessarily desperate to move him, but there's been some, you know, he definitely clashed with some players in the locker room, Mm -hmm. you know, over the course of last season. He obviously kind of blew up on the media a little bit at the end of the year. He feels like he hasn't been given enough support. Uh, in terms of partner over the last couple of years, which is true. You know, after the Matt Niskan in retirement, they really didn't replace him in 2020, 21. Then they tried to replace him with Ryan Ellis in the 2021 offseason. They got four games out of him. <laughs> so Provorov has kind of been stuck carrying around players like Justin Braun, who are perfectly solid players, but certainly not top pair right-handed shooting defensemen. And it's a it's a situation where I could see it going either way. I don't think it's a guarantee that Provorov gets moved. I don't even think it's necessarily over 50%, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, especially in some sort of hockey trade. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it's a situation where they're just going to sell him. But if they could find a move that, you know, addresses some other need on the team, maybe you cross your fingers that Travis Sanheim isn't just a good number three, that maybe he could be a top pair left-handed shooting defenseman. You know, I'll just want to say this. Oh, with Ivan Provorov, if I'm a G, I, I I love I like the love the way he plays. He's like a dynamic puck moving defenseman. If I'm a general manager and I know Ivan Provorov is available, I am picking up the phone and I'm taking him. I will gladly take him off your hands if you do not want him. I just yeah. want that said. Yeah, and I don't think it's that the Flyers don't want him. I just think there there has been conversation if a change of scenery could be best for everyone. Yeah, I think so. Uh, dude, thank you so much for hanging out with us and and taking up all of our nonsense with Gritty, but also giving us a really great picture of what the Philadelphia Flyers uh, 
may look like or how they envisioned this whole John Tortorella thing. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, man. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Well, that got off the rails with Charlie. Um, I don't know why I brought up the Freddy the Falcon thing. Because it's um, funny. There's no. It's a good, it was a good story. Pictures it's, it's of funny. it. It's funny. Who cares? I'm just going to be like, what was she doing in high school? Uh, I was on the basketball team. We were going to our own game. There was a men's game, and my coach had the Falcon costume out, and I said, hey, can I have that for a second? And I thought it'd be really funny to just put it on, okay? Yeah. And then you- It then was you, very funny, and then I ripped my you jeans. Uh, I didn't rip the Falcon pants. I ripped my pants. Whatever. That is- So I didn't- <laughs> You lived to tell a tale. At least. <laughs> you know what? And it was really funny. Nobody knew that it was me in there. It was great. Yeah. I just ran around. I did a couple cartwheels. Like you, guys, you guys don't even understand. Everybody you guys loved it. what it's like I to put be on, I put on it's the so suit. freeing. I put on the suit and everyone cheered. I put on was, one I pant mean, leg at a time. Oh, yeah. And you get the big shoes. That was the most interesting part is like the feet. You're the full, you're, you're the full thing. Does this mean you're going to transition to being... Uh, Stars mascot Victor E. Green. So he, who did I call is, him when I was segue, in Dallas? Baby. I thought I thought he was yippee. I got them very confused. Whoa! whoa, whoa. Wow! I was walking a, through Dallas green. and there was a big inflatable Victor E. Green. I was like, "Hey, is that yippee?" People were like, "No, what? Idiot. That's the Montreal mascot." Wait, Victor E. Green. Let me let me just look up Victor. what he looks like. He's a Yo, big you bad get- guy with a green thing. I, as someone who has grown up with UP uh, for pretty much Look, all of my life. I don't have life, an explanation for it. It's fine. I you, just messed that up. That is very off. <laughs> it's fine. He's very he's green. Off. He's green. Don't, he's tell, green. don't tell Laz's daughter. She's going to put me in that next on. edition of Mascot Hunter on. Games. I don't know what her thoughts on Victory Green but, are. But Pete DeBoer, mm-hmm. I wonder if Pete DeBoer is going to have any like, issues with Victor E. Green. Uh, oh, the transition. Look- Ooh. He looks like he's going to see a lot of greed with, uh, looks as if he's going to get like a deal done, like four years. I forget, like four mil? I'm trying to get that actual uh, details from Pierre Lebrun. Just in from Pierre Lebrun. Four-year deal worth north of $4 million a season, Pierre says. So that's great. It's great that Dallas went out and got the guy who screwed up the goalie situation in in Vegas to handle the development of Jake Ottinger. It's fun. Fun, fun. Uh, A player who, he was... That was the best goaltending performance we've seen in the playoffs in a long time. He was like the star of the first round. He almost stole that series um, for Dallas. You saw him. My God. Yeah, he was incredible. He was incredible. And the conversation after they lost was, yeah, you know, Dallas lost in the first round, but like look at what we just saw from this guy and what he's going to become. Uh. And then they hire a coach who did what exactly to Mark Andre Fleury and Robin uh, Leonard? He he, bo- <laughs> he uh, botched it, I would say, over the yeah. course over the course of two years. Jake Ottinger is, and not just for the Dallas Stars, his development is vitally important for USA Hockey, which is my which is my main concern here. We need we need oh. elite we need elite we do we need elite Jake Ottinger right. for the next for the next four years eight years. You know, twelve years, and I'm. So y'all I'm, could lose in like the quarters or something. Like, oh is that God. what this is about? Who? I mean, or the o- finals? Jake Ottinger, American Carey Price. What? That's what he what? is. What? Let, let's. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. Monsieur, stop. Don't mm-hmm. sit down. What is mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. American Carey Price. That's right. That's Bruh. right. 
That's right. Let's calm down. All right. Let's chill. Let's chill. Ugh. Let's just keep this on Pete DeBoer. This is just, more, okay? I, this, yeah, this is. Let's just talk about Pete DeBoer. All right. Like, like, you, you, Pete you, DeBoer. All right. We don't some, need to. Have what? some tea. Have some water. <laughs> I'm going to take a, take a sip. I need to calm down. Jake DeBoer. Or, uh, Jake DeBoer. Pete DeBoer <laughs> is the perfect Dallas Stars coach in a way. Like, when you, if you throw the Ottinger stuff out the window, he makes perfect sense for the Dallas Stars because that team is in win now mode always. Because the ownership group there, Tom Gaglardi, you know, like all, all of them, they they know that if that team stinks, people are going to forget about them. And that is why they're a cap team. That's why they're always in on big names. That's why they're not talking. That's why they weren't talking about a rebuild last year after, you know, all the all the the bizarre few seasons, you know, they've had. I get it. You go, you go out and hire, you know, a coach with some recent bona fides who almost got it done with Vegas, and you say like, "All right, let's just let's run it back. We're bringing back Pavelski. We're we're bringing back we're bringing back the Robertson hints. You know, see what happens if they can fill that roster out past Haskin and on and on and on. Like he's a win now coach for for a win now team. But I just I can't. When you look at how Ottinger emerged as like the is the, is the future of that franchise, like that was a, that was star making stuff we saw from him, and it looks sustainable. I th- Haley, we talked about this. That's the other mm-hmm. that was that was the thing about Ottinger against Calgary. This wasn't this didn't feel like smoke and mirrors. This felt like the emergence of a of you kept a guy. saying he's not going to be able to do this next game. Mm-hmm. You know, game did. I went into game seven being like this is Jake Ottinger's not going to be able to. There's no way. He's he's young. It's his first playoffs. There's no way, and then he just makes. So if he's of saves. if he's a if he's a capital G guy moving forward as a goaltender, not just for the stars, but but league wide, I'm not sure Pete DeBoer is the dude you want to shepherd him along, just because of what happened over the course of several years in Vegas. This wasn't like one mishandling, one mishandled series, or or one instance of. Of, uh, of of him making a mistake. This was well, a protracted slow motion mess that was completely of his own design over the well, last two well, or three years. And that's the dude that's getting the keys to Jake Ottinger for the next, for the next however long. We had, I, I think, I think we had this discussion, Sean, on one of the podcasts. Remember when Robin Leonard? It was like all this stuff was happening. Like Robin Leonard's out, and then people were like, mm-hmm. "Well, should the Vegas Golden Knights try to reacquire?" Mark Andre Fleury at the deadline. Should they go out and trade it? It's like Robin Leonard was never the problem with Mark Andre Fleury. <laughs> Pete DeBoer mm-hmm. is still the coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. He is not going back there. Like that was a thing that was out there. Like this is not, we're not pulling something out of the hat here. Like this was like, what is, what is happening here? I mean, Julian, like who is, <laughs> who is the Alan, the Alan Walsh sword? That there was there was there was in the Photoshop. The sword symbolized one dude in particular, right? It was it like it was it was yeah, directed it at, at yeah. our boy. That cut through Mark Andre Fleury, man. Oh, I that cut through. That. It was it was tough, man. I I just wonder though, because because you bring up that goaltending situation, Jake Andre in Dallas. It looks like he's gonna be like the dude. Is I there... think they're gonna go back to Anton Hudobin. <laughs> yeah, but, but that, that's, that's the old. This is the thing. Like that's why I think. Hopefully, for his sake, he'll have learned from everything, and and it'll be a lot easier because he knows. Okay, Jake Ottinger is the guy, and they need to ensure that he could somehow fulfill Sean's wet dream that he could be Carey Price one day. Like American I don't know. Papers. Like like American, do we see American a situation papers. where like Pete DeBoer is going to be like, Nah, man, we got to stifle his development so we can get Anton Hudobin some more games. Like I don't see that happening. At least with the flurry, like 
we're right. talking about we're talking about Flurry and Leonard, which was two. That years wasn't even ago. like a development. That, does, that oh. doesn't that doesn't account Sorry, for what happened this past season with with Leonard. Like he, like that whole situation was was botched again. He pissed off goalies. I don't even understand what happened. It, with it the, doesn't. That was wild. It doesn't matter what happened. Like the fact, like the upshot is that that is that he's pissed off two consecutive starting goaltenders in botched yep. goalie situations for two consecutive years. And, and you knew in, that he mm-hmm. was going to be done. It was like someone's going to go this summer. It's either going to be Robin Leonard. Or it's going to be Pete DeBoer. And we're like, and it's going to be Pete DeBoer. Like when that whole situation happened, we knew it. And this is another part of that we can talk about this too. This is the fourth. This will be his fifth team. He's been fired four times since 09. And all summer we've just seen teams go back to the well um, with guys who were fired, you know, months ago. Bruce Cassidy's a good coach. We talked about this off mic. John Tortorella has won – I just he's a, uh, he's a cup he's a cup winner. He won't, he, yeah. he won't. John we'll Tortorella is the last the coach as people, of though. right now to have beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoff series. What? <laughs> That's true. Yep, he is the last actor. Oh, he's true. The last Columbus, coach. Columbus, right, right, right. I was like, exactly. Wait a what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the, this is nothing new. Like every time people get, you know, mock surprise that NHL teams are. Getting retreads. This is just the thing that we do now. <laughs> I think it's funny like, that DeBoer didn't, DeBoer didn't end up on the Panthers, which would have been like the ultimate in NHL coach retreads, let's right? Try Where it again. It was, since it worked so well in 2007 or or whatever. I almost I forgot Montreal that was the only place that did that. Uh uh-uh, no. I almost <laughs> forgot that Pete DeBoer coached the Sharks. And I watched him get his lunch eaten by Mike Sullivan in, in twenty in twenty sixteen as coach of the San Jose Sharks. Mm-hmm. Like that was, I mean, that I was I, not a, that was not a series. That was like, well, no, got that was, back. that was, that was an ass kicking. They did exactly what they wanted to do. They play the, the matchups were exactly what they wanted them to be. I mean, Pete DeBoer has won a lot of games. Like he's, he's, he's found some, he's found some success, but that was a moment where I was like, Oh, I don't let's I've looked, I, I've looked at the board a little, a little sideways, a little sideways since then. He's a win now guy. He's obviously got a lot of, you know, he's got some, He's got some trophies hanging on whatever, some some pelts hanging on the wall. That's a that's fine, but Ew. I don't know, man. Is that is that pelts? the best is that the best we can do? Pelts, pelts, pelts. animal skins, that's furs. Disgusting. Ew. People right. people hunt. Okay. Anyways, right. final point. I think, and this is unfortunate because we're running out of time because we've been talking forever. But I just think the Dallas conversation is so interesting because. This is that's going to be a fascinating team, and I wonder how Pete DeBoer takes them along because you look at this team and they have some of the hardest stuff figured out. Miro Heiskanen is excellent. Yes, like Jason Robertson, um, even Joel Pavelski, so great. Their top line, Rupe Hints. You've got you've got top line players. You've got an elite goaltender, someone who looks like they can continue to be an elite goaltender. You've got a number one defenseman. They've got the hardest stuff done mm-hmm. already. Now, what else can they do around it, and what can the coach do with the players that he has? Like, I just think Dallas is so fascinating. It's really the John Klingberg situation. Just it seems as if like he's going to be gone. They're going to let him go, and uh, are they in on Jeff Petrie? Like, how are they going to? I guess that's the that's a whole other thing for Jim Nill to solve. But if there's one man, if there's one GM we can count on to be active, it is Jim Nill. 
and that is a hundred percent like like we talked about at the top of this with a mindset that leads to them hiring Pete DeBoer. Like for better or worse, that team is going all out every single year. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. They're paying they're paying a lot of guys a lot of money to be to, to be second line players. They're always they're always fascinating. Jim Nil, Jim Nil's gonna do something wild. Even though Pete DeBoer is like the least inspired move of all, that's fine. Now it's time to actually go into roster construction. And that's where that's where he's a wild boy. Let's go. Just Did you just call him a wild boy? Jim Nil, wild boy. What do you Where call the Dallas from? Stars? He calls them the Ramblin' Boys of Chaos. They're the funnest. I love them. I remember before the first round of the playoffs, I was looking at the stars. This fly won't leave me alone. Oh, my God. Are you okay? No. <laughs> I just remember looking at the stars, and it was like, they lost like 30 games this year, and they had a really good playoff run. They, they would go on stretches where it was like, oh, my God. Or you're like, oh, my God. Like Their games were... <laughs> Their games were no their, game, their, their games were fifty six minutes of nothing, and then and then it was like oh yeah, there were four minutes a game where Robertson and, and Hints and and, uh, and Pavelski would just cook. They're they're wild. Yeah. I want more. I want more Dallas Stars. I want them to add yeah. pieces and do this again because I really really enjoyed watching them. I don't know if Evgeny it was Malkin? completely sincerely. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> This is going to be great. This is going to be this offseason. There's going to be a lot, I think. There's some big names on the board. Done a good job. Lots of stuff happening with so many different teams. Like lots of just like really consequential offseasons for a lot of teams. I think it's going to be good. And we'll talk about it all here on the Athletic Hockey Show. Thanks, there everyone, for listening. There we go. Peace.